live from the Shed Aquarium. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Straws, plastic bags, food wrappers, all of these things that make our lives more convenient can and do end up in our water systems, including Lake Michigan. Now, as plastic breaks down, it becomes smaller particles known as microplastics and nanoplastics. Scientists have found them inside fish, in our drinking water, in our bloodstream, even deep in some people's lungs. But don't despair. There are local efforts to counteract and prevent this from happening. So here to break it down for us is Joel Bremeyer, CEO of the Alliance for the Great Lakes. Welcome to the show, Joel. Thank you. Also with us is someone who is developing a household sponge that can attract and soak up these tiny bits of plastic. Vinayak Dravid is the founding director of the Northwestern University Atomic and Nanoscale Characterization Experimental Center, or NUANCE. And he's here with us on the steps of the shed. Welcome back, Professor. Thank you. Delighted to be here. We'll start with you. Do we know, on average, how much microplastic we're actually consuming? Uh, I don't know about the consuming part, but in the Great Lakes, for example, on a yearly basis, uh, it's almost 10 million pounds of uh, plastic enters the water. 10 million pounds. Yeah. That sounds like a lot. Uh, A 2019 study found that on the high end, uh, we could be consuming as much as a credit card's worth of plastic every week. Is that possible? I'm afraid it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How widespread, Joel, is this problem of, of microplastics in the Great Lakes? Well, it's certainly uh, across the Great Lakes, and it's frankly a global problem. Um, the, one of the differences about the Great Lakes, of course, is that this is our source of drinking water. And um, the, the microplastics that show up here tend to be these, um, these small bits that break down, sometimes into pieces you can see, sometimes into microscopic pieces. But uh, the, the really scary part of all this is that, of course, we draw our drinking water from Lake Michigan, as do hundreds of communities across the Great Lakes region in the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. And these plastics are right there with us going into our bodies. So it's not clear at the moment how harmful it is for animals or humans to ingest microplastics. But in 2017, the United Nations put out a, a resolution calling for the regulation of microplastics entering the environment. Talk about why microplastics concern you. Right. So, of course, drinking water, just the idea that we don't want plastic in our drinking water um, or in the beer that we brew, which, of course, research has found that that's happening to or any food product that's using Great Lakes water. Um, Fish and wildlife can mistake these particles for food. So you can actually find microplastic bits in the guts of of fish in the Great Lakes, uh, which, of course, has a a obvious uh, creates an obvious problem for the nutrition of the fish and wildlife that people care about. Um, and what's I think what's really disturbing is you're starting to see these kinds of particles showing up in people's bloodstream and lungs, right? And so it's not just about the ecology of the lakes, but it's about what we're being exposed to mm-hmm. by just going about our everyday business of, of, of walking down the street, breathing, drinking water, and, and that's showing up in our actual, in our bodies. And I know we've all seen those images of like you know, floating trash islands. Yeah. In the ocean. Well, and a big difference here in the Great Lakes is that most of the plastics in the water are pretty, pretty small. You're not seeing those big yeah. rafts of plastic washing up on the shoreline here. Right, like you know, cans, bottles, cups, right? Uh, talk more about how the plastic enters the lake. Sure. So it gets in, in a variety of ways. Uh, so one way is people don't often think about is through laundry. So plastic fibers from clothing. Uh, you have uh, plastic gets in from... Uh, food waste, single-use plastics, they're called, that gets left on the street or washes into rivers or on the beach and quickly breaks down into small particles. Um, It gets there through uh, manufacturing products that are called nurdles. So these are like raw plastics that are used to manufacture other plastic products, and that waste 
uh, can get uh, uh, kind of uh, pushed into the waste stream and into the water. There's actually some pending uh, uh, legislation that would regulate uh, nurdles. There's a whole variety of ways, and that's one of the big challenges about plastic. There are, there's a diversity of ways that this gets into our water, and mm-hmm. so there has to be a diversity of solutions to keep it out and to reduce the sources. So I'm going to turn to you now, Professor Dravid, because I, I know that you're developing, as I mentioned, a, a sponge technology that, that could help prevent these plastics from actually entering the lake. Did you bring some of the sponges with you? Yes, I have. I'm dying to, I'm dying <laughs> to take a look. <laughs> so We've got not, some eager folks right in front, too. Like, just like what this. Is this is a household sponge, so when I help out my uh, wife in the So this is, this is the sponge, you know, in the cupboard underneath my sink, my kitchen sink. Absolutely. Okay. All we do is we add a slight uh, coating to it. So a very tiny amount of coating makes it uh, very uh, amenable to capturing specific pollutants. So we have a coating specifically for microplastic, another one for other type of pollutants. So you've got a coating on it. And what does the coating do? So what it does is it's almost like a hand looking for a glove, a specific glove. So microplastic has certain characteristics which are amenable to attracting them to a coating. So in our case, uh, that coating allows uh, uh, the microplastic to be captured and anchored. And then you collect all of that, and then you take, once it's laden with microplastic, you take it elsewhere and change the parameter and release all the plastic and reuse it. So our technology is all about reusable uh, remediation. Wow. Now. And so these sponges that I'm looking at right now, do these have the coating on them? So the, the yellow one that you see, slight gray tint, it does have a coating. Okay. So you did, it's only 5 to 10% of the total weight of the cellulose sponge is our uh, uh, magic sauce. I almost want to go over to the lake right now and, and test it and out. You can do I'm that so tempted. And... <laughs> <laughs> Joel's laughing. Uh, so what happens when the sponge does get full of plastics? Yeah. So what you do is you can replace with the second one and then you take the first one to another tank and release it so that you have a highly concentrated plastic where you can actually process it or dispose it in a much more uh, economic way. So you're developing this as, as a tool that people can just use at home? It has both. You can use it at home as well as uh, in, uh, in commercial entities. Yeah. How long would the sponge last before you would need a new one? So it depends on the type of porosity amount of, but again, in a normal circumstances, uh, common water, this should last for months. You're, um, you're also scaling this up to meet the challenge of cleaning microplastics in bodies of water, as you mentioned. Absolutely. Talk more about that process. Yeah, so what we're trying to do is, uh, you know, there are a lot of pollutants, not just microplastic. You have oil, you have phosphate, as we were talking earlier with Joel. So we want solution that's a platform solution that can be deployed for multiple pollutants. So sponge-based platform come across a few years ago as, a, as that uh, magic approach so that you can do what is called a Swiss Army knife approach to pollution. So. Oh. So the same coating, a uh, same, yeah, that's right. So the same uh, sponge uh, that I just talked about for microplastic, with slight change in the coating, it can capture PFAS and uh, other pollutants. That's fascinating. Super cool. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, yeah, we're talking about sponges. Um, We took the show on the road. We're broadcasting live from the Shed Aquarium. We're discussing how to protect our beloved Lake Michigan from microplastics. Our guests are Northwestern Professor Vinayak Dravid, who's founding director of the Nuance Center, and Joel Bremeyer, who's CEO of the Alliance for the Great Lakes. It's a beautiful day today, Joel. But uh, I know that we've had a number of 90-degree days lately, uh, especially so far this season. Um, the Earth's temperature is also continually rising. So talk about how these higher temperatures are affecting aquatic life. 
So we're starting to see the effects of climate change on the Great Lakes, and right here at home in Lake Michigan is no different. Um, as we've seen global temperature, average temperatures increase, you've also seen the average summer surface water temperature of the Great Lakes increase. Now, warm water, uh, it is, uh, if you're swimming in it, it can feel like a good thing. Yeah. But for fish and wildlife, uh, not so much. So the fish and wildlife we care about are typically, they're accustomed to being in a certain span of temperatures. And what we know is that invasive species so species like carp that we don't necessarily want in the Great Lakes are more tolerant of warmer water. So warmer water actually is better for invasive species and worse for some of the critters mm. that we want that, that are native to the region that we rely on uh, for sport fishing and just for the, the wonderful beauty of the lakes that we have here. A second uh, thing that we think about with those warmer waters is algae blooms. And so algae blooms are these runaway uh, blooms that are typically fed by phosphorus and nitrogen. Uh, they're most famous in the Great Lakes because it actually they shut down the Toledo drinking water system in 2014 yes. because of the toxin that's associated with these blooms. Well, again, warm water is more conducive to algae blooms. And so we're starting to see algae blooms in places like Lake Superior, mm -hmm. which is the coldest of the Great Lakes, and wouldn't, you know, historically not seen a lot of algae bloom activity there. So some concerning findings that we're seeing because of these warming temperatures. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's, it's like every other part of the world, we're seeing climate change having those impacts close to home. Got another question from the crowd. Lee wants to know, what's the worst kind of pollution facing Chicago? Is it microplastics? Is it something else? You're smiling at each other. All of the above. Uh, it, it's all Professor Dravid yeah. says all of the above. <laughs> Go, go ahead. No, go ahead, please, Joe. It's hard to answer because uh, you know the Great. It always depends on where you're standing in the Great Lakes, right? So if you're if you're in Toledo, Ohio, you're thinking about phosphorus all the time because it literally stopped your drinking water system from functioning. Um, here in in Chicago, you might be thinking about uh, microplastics or you know the potential for a sewage overflow that actually puts yeah. combined sewage back into the water. It really does depend on where you're standing. But I just I just want to emphasize how important it is to you know as the professor said earlier to me, protect what you've got. Right. This is this is our clean water. It's clean most of the time, and we've got to make sure we keep it clean and remove the pollutants that that cause problems for people and wildlife to, wherever you're standing. Yeah, and, and Professor, the color of the lake changes constantly as well, depending on the cloud coverage or the time of day. Uh, often the the changing colors are they reveal what's happening with you know what Joel was talking right uh, about the algae, the animal life. Talk to us more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So now if you see outside, it looks nice, deep blue color of the lake, which is very deceiving because that means there's less life there. So you want an ecosystem, uh, mm -hmm. in local ecosystem, where you have a little bit of green, you have a little bit of algae that feeds the higher organism, and that's how you create the equilibrium of lake. While I have you both here, I want to hear more about how you got into this work. You start, Professor. Yeah, so I'm a basic scientist. I look at molecules and atoms uh, using microscope. And uh, so several years uh, we've been doing that. But a few years ago, I realized that what we do in basic science need to have some impact, measurable impact. So a lot of my basic science was about how surfaces behave. And so I felt that by teaching the surfaces, or we call it old dogs, new tricks, yeah. you can start to capture pollutants. So we started with oil capture, then phosphate, and now microplastic, and in the future, uh, heavy metals and other pollutants. So By the way, like a, there's nothing basic about what you're doing <laughs> <laughs> at all. Uh, what about you, Joel? Yeah, I, you know, I had the good fortune to grow up with some great outdoor experiences, including on the Great Lakes, which is certainly part of it. Um, and then I also, when I when I moved to Chicago, I started volunteering for a few organizations and eventually was able to you know turn that into a professional position, which I was, again, very nice. fortunate to do. So that's my little plug for getting involved in your local water organization, whether it's the Alliance for the Great Lakes or, or, or anybody else. But I also want to mention that uh, we're really fortunate that people in the Great Lakes region 
you know, they really understand the value of clean water and they understand how important it is to protect it. And the more and more people we can convince of that, you know, the easier the job is to keep pollution out of the water. And so we're very fortunate to have a region that, you know, really understands how precious these lakes are. Yeah. Tell us more about your, your call to action, because I know you're, you're trying to get folks to adopt a new habit. Yeah. Right. Well, we're try- we're lots of habits, but you know, we, we have a program called the Adopt a Beach program, and we encourage people to go out, join a join a team, uh, clean up beaches, find the plastic. We find when we go out to the shorelines across this is across the Great Lakes region, our volunteers actually are finding a, more than eighty five percent of the debris that we're removing is plastic, uh, and so that's a great way to see up close how uh, much of an impact the, this, this plastic pollution problem is having on the ground, and then people can get involved in other ways, of course, and, you know besides our Adopt-A-Beach program, I encourage people to get involved telling their decision makers, you know, how important clean water in the Great Lakes are to them because they really are listening and they need to hear it. Yeah. What's this uh, global initiative, Plastic Free July? Plastic Free July is, so we're in, it's uh, the middle of the month, not too late to get involved. There are steps on our website, greatlakes.org, that you can take to take action for Plastic Free July. And no matter where you are, whether you live in the Great Lakes or whether you live, you know, wherever in the world, you can be part of this global movement that's focused on doing things like eliminating single-use plastics, reducing, you know, plastic from food waste, uh, just taking steps in your own life to clean up your, your local area and make sure that you're contributing as little to the problem as possible. Professor, where can people learn more about you and your center and all of this great work that you folks are doing? Yeah, so one way is to go to Google search and look under my name, for example. <laughs> he said, Google me. <laughs> <laughs> That's how. <laughs> <laughs> but also the, what you're doing, the advocacy, I think education is the key. I think people are hungry to uh, solve problem, but if they need to be told what the cell level and scale of the problem is. So once you define the problem, I think people work on the solution. And I think you just dropped the website, but tell us again where folks can learn more, sure, Joel. The Alliance for the Great Lakes is at greatlakes.org. That was Joel Bremeyer, CEO of Alliance for the Great Lakes, and Vinayak Dravid, who's founding director of the Northwestern University Atomic and Nanoscale Characterization Experimental Center, or Nuance. It's, it's a mouthful, yeah. <laughs> Thank you both for your time and for coming down to the shed. Glad to be here. Thanks. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.